everyone, and welcome to the Grove Church Cultivate podcast. I'm Charlie Lofton, the lead pastor there, and I'm so thankful that you have joined us. If you've been with us uh, any over these last few episodes, you know that we're in the middle of a series where basically we're calling, it's not what that says, where we're looking at some verses that are popular, but highly misunderstood, and sometimes just completely and totally misquoted. Um, we talked about uh, last time, if you were here, so we talked about money being the root of all evil and how we just completely misunderstood and misquoted that. We've looked at that God won't give you more than you can handle, that God works all things for good. I can do anything through Christ who gives me strength and all the ways that these verses are misunderstood and or misquoted. And so I asked a few episodes back if you had any suggestions or anything you wanted me to talk about, we could. And I got one, uh, a verse that, uh, in fact, the person who, who brought this up to me was like, you're, you're prob- I, I, I want to know what you think about this verse, but you're probably going to crush everything I believe about it. And so it was, it was, it was funny. It was somebody I knew. But anyway, it's, it's a verse in Joel chapter 2 that talks about um, God giving you back the years the locusts have eaten. And so I don't know if you've ever heard that expression is a very common expression in some uh, denominational circles. When you are talking about, you know, you're going through a difficult time that you put your trust in God because you know that God is going to get you through the difficult time and he will quote, give you back the years the locusts have eaten. And then you'll find that in Joel chapter uh, two, verse 25. In Joel verse cha- two, verse 25, it says this, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten, the great locusts and the young locusts, the other locusts and the locust swarm, my great army that I sent among you. Verse 26, you'll have plenty to eat until you're full and you will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. And so the promise here that God is giving is that even though there's going to be this really difficult time where these, this curse, this plague of bugs will come and kind of take out your crops, that God has promised that he will repay that you will get that time back. You will go through a difficult time where you're having to experience all of these locusts, but God is going to repay you back. You are going to be able to get back from you all that was lost when it seemed like or your life was in fact cursed. But rather than spending all of our time specifically talking about this one verse, we're just going to spend some time more broadly, and we're going to look at two more examples of this, and we'll spend some time kind of going through each one of them. Two more examples of Old Testament promises that, that God makes to a particular group of people that when you take them as a verse by themselves become very kind of inspiring verses about what God is going to do for us. One, I think we have talked about before, at least I've referenced before. I reference it when I, when I, anytime I talk about how we kind of study and understand the Old Testament. One is in 2 Chronicles 7.14. And 2 Chronicles 7.14 says this, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. So you've got a group of people, say in a particular country like the United States, that's kind of the idea of this verse. And if God's people in the United States, God's people in any particular country, if what they will do, the people who are called by his name will humble themselves, pray, seek God's face, turn from wickedness, then God will hear from heaven, forgive sin and heal the land. 
And so if you feel like that your country, your land, your state, your city, or whatever is feeling some sort of oppression going through a rough time, God's people have the power to kind of turn it around for the country, the state, the city, the place. And humility on their part will allow the land in which they live, the state, the city, the country, will allow it to be healed. So this is a promise that you can claim if you believe that, again, if you believe that the United States is going through a period of judgment of some kind, then the way to free the United States from this judgment is for God's people to pray, to humble themselves, repent of sin, and then God will bring healing to the United States. Um, One more we will look at. This is probably the most popular one and is the one that you are most likely to find on a, um, on a cross stitch, on a pillow, on a rock in your garden of some kind. There's a very uh, powerful prayer uh, promise that you'll find in the Bible. Lots of people like to use it. It's in Jeremiah chapter 29, starting in verse, with, in verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. So, you know, again, this is a very popular verse. You, you know, if you've been around church Christianity at all, you've probably seen this verse or quoted, have someone quote this verse to you, that God knows the plans he has for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. It's a very inspiring promise that God gives to, to do good things, to prosper his people. If you put all three of these verses together, there's a thing that that all three of them have in common. There's several things that they have in common. They are promises to Israel that God makes. And these promises are are very optimistic. They're very uplifting. I'm going to give back to you something that was lost. I'm going to heal your land. A promise to know that I, I only want to, I want to prosper you. I don't want to harm you. I want to give you hope and a future. They're very inspiring promises that God makes to Israel. And so the question that we're going to be asking, and again, this, this, is, this applies to all three of these, but it's not, it's, not, it's not restricted just to these three, but these promises that God makes in the Old Testament to people, can we, New Testament Christians, several thousand years later, living in the world since Jesus came and died and we follow Jesus now, um, can we go to the Old Testament and take promises like these and claim them for ourselves? If you've been around long enough, if you've heard me teach in this podcast for a while or you've heard me on Sunday, you probably felt the rhetorical nature of that question. Can we claim, just by pulling out, can we, can we, can we claim these promises as our own. Um, I think if if you've been around this podcast for a while, we were doing some some lessons on Bible study, and that was kind of one of the questions that we answered. We're kind of answering it again this way in a different context to help us with some of these very often quoted, and I would say because of the way that we quote them, highly misunderstood verses. So each one of these promises, what they all, another thing that they all have in common is these are promises that follow um, a judgment that comes from God. In Joel chapter 2, the locusts that are devouring all of their crops and are keeping them from being prosperous, these are locusts that God himself sent to them 
to destroy their crops. So this is something that God did to them. In Jeremiah chapter 29, I know the plans that I have for you. This is something that he is saying to the people who are now in exile. They, They used to live in Israel. They were God's people there. They got captured, taken captive, and, and taken away from their land. And basically, God says, hey, you're in this new place now, but here's, here's what you're going to do. You need, you need to settle down, have families here, and you're just going to live here for the next 70 years. In 70 years, I'll bring you back. And then that, it's in that context that he says, I've got a future for you. You are living in a judgment now, but I have a future for you. But again, that judgment, even though it comes in the form of Babylonians, God makes it very clear in Habakkuk and other places that the judgment of the Babylonians was something very specific that God intended. So there's another curse, if you will, that has happened to the Israelite people, but this curse is something that God did. Second Chronicles 7, 14, just go back to verse 13. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people. Basically, what he's saying, when something happens to you, when something bad happens to you, but it's not just any bad thing, it is a bad thing that God himself has caused. If I bring a drought, if I bring locusts, or I send a plague, if I punish you in this way, if you will humble yourselves and pray and call upon my name, then I will heal the land. If I damage your land because of your sin, if you will repent of your sin, I will heal your land. Jeremiah 29, you've been judged based on your sinfulness when you're at home and now you're in exile. You do what I'm asking you to do and I will call you back because I have a great future for you. I'm bringing these locusts on your land because of your sin. Again, something that is predicted is going to happen in 2 Chronicles 7 is referenced in Joel chapter 2 several, you know, several hundred years later it happens. Locusts come, locusts that God sends. But if you humble yourself, if you listen, if you pray, if you repent, I will give back to you what I take. So all three of these verses, and again, so many promises in the Old Testament have this same sort of pattern. Sin brings a judgment from God. And when that judgment comes, God says, if you will repent, I will restore you in some way. And so the question then again is, do we have the right, if you will, do we have the right to claim these promises for ourselves? With any particular Bible command, with any particular Bible promise, the answer to this question is kind of complex. You have as much ability to apply a promise or a command from Scripture as much as you have in common with the person or group that it was given to. So we're going to eliminate very quickly the Second Chronicles 7.14, especially when it is used in a, a USA patriotic kind of way, that if we want the USA, the United States to be blessed and we feel like it's cursed, then we need to pray this prayer so that God will heal the land. Well, that can only be true in as much as the United States has anything in common with Israel. And the only thing that it really has in common with Israel, it is, it is a country Um, a geopolitical state. That's pretty much it. It is not, uh, the United States was not a country that was God's chosen people. It's not under a special covenant with God. Some people may have a more mythical understanding about the founding of the United States as if it were a 
God-ordained process, but we don't have any, certainly any scriptural basis for that. I don't think that there's any real basis in history that this was um, God's next Israel. And so if the United States doesn't really have anything in common with Israel, then it is not a verse that can be claimed in that context. Well, who can claim it then? Well, the, the group that could most have the most in common with Israel has the most parallels would be um, God's church or maybe even an individual Christian. And so then the principle there would be that if you will humble yourself and pray and turn from your sin, that God will heal your land. The problem with this is, is this is a very literal thing that God is saying that he's going to do. I'm literally going to heal the land that I, I gave you land, then I cursed it, then I will heal it. God has not made any such promise like that with individual churches, the church as a whole, or any individual. God no longer deals with us with land. He did, there is no promised land for people that follow Jesus Christ. This is also happening in the context of a a very different way that God related to the Israelites than he does to his church. The way that God related to the Israelites, if you read the book of Judges, you read this in Second Chronicles, I mean, all these passages, Joel, Jer- Jeremiah, um, your blessing is tied to your obedience. When you obey, you will get good things. If you disobey, I will curse you. But if you repent, I will remove the curse from you. If you go to the New Testament and you see that the way... Jesus entered the world and the new church that he established there, you will see that that is not how God is dealing with his chosen people, if you will, anymore. That is not the covenant. It's not the promise that God has made with the church. Um, Jesus Christ's death was a once for all, complete and total, um, unconditional gift sacrifice on our behalf. And God has not said that our physical prosperity in this world is tied to our obedience. Our spiritual prosperity in this world is tied to Jesus. And there really are very few claims about our physical prosperity at all in the New Testament. God said he would give us what we need. He told us we need to learn to be content. Um, There really isn't anything you can say is like, well, God says, if you sin here, that your work will be punished, your crops will be punished, your body will be harmed. I mean, I mean, there are some things where it says that, that a consequence of sin can be uh, physical problems. People die, people die from their sins. I mean, things like that happen, but it is not the covenant that is made between Jesus and his church. And so, even as individual Christians, even as um, the church as a whole, we really can't claim these promises in the same way. The only way that we can claim even hints of these promises is if they are repeated, at least thematically in some way in the New Testament. But we don't have any, you know, there isn't really anything in the New Testament. What Jesus says is that, hey, if you disobey me, I'm going to punish you physically in some way. And then if you repent, I'll heal you. There just doesn't seem to be any of that construction. And so as such, none of these verses really apply to us. And so in order to get them to apply to us, you have to spiritualize them a little bit and you have to remove them from your context. If you find yourself in a bad situation, not that God is caused because of your sin, but just in a bad situation, like I feel like my future is hopeless. 
I feel like that, that things are cursed. I feel like I need healing. I feel like the locusts have devoured my work. And if I, I trust in a God who wants to prosper me, I trust that God is going to give me back what I lost. I promise that God is going to give healing. And so I can claim those promises because I believe in a God that is gracious and good in that way. Yes, you can, but the only absolute promises we've had where you will receive back things that, quote, the locusts, metaphorical locusts have taken from you or the, or the damage that has been done to your land or the exile that you're currently feeling. The only absolute promise that you can have of redemption or healing from any of that is not in this life, but in the next one. Jesus's promises and assurances are about, um, in this world, you're going to have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. About him giving us a new place, a better place. He's preparing a place for us to live. All of our absolute hope that we can definitely take, that we can claim and hold as a promise, happen not in this life, but the next. God has made no promises about your particular comfort or physical blessing in this world. He has promised blessing, and that blessing, you know, in, in Corinthians, talk about it, is, it is tied to our generosity. If you're generous um, with people, God's going to be generous with us. He's going to bless us. Sometimes that's physically, sometimes it's not. But the only absolute promises we can make are God is going to restore and heal us fully when we are in heaven. But most people will not claim Jeremiah or Joel or Second Chronicles as, as heavenly promises, but a promise that God has made to physically prosper us in this life. And unfortunately, Jesus' Jesus' ministry is way too much to the poor, and it is way too much filled with promises of struggles and trials. The stories of Paul, we talked about when we talked about, I give you all things through Christ who strengthens me. is basically Paul saying, I've lived under every possible circumstance. My trust and my hope, though, was in God. The passage that we looked at last time in, in 1 Timothy where he's talking about, hey, you need just to be learned to content with what you have. And actually the desire or the demand that you deserve or entitled to more than just whatever it is you have to move beyond contentment with what I have, but to be discontentment and feel like I am owed more than what I have. That's actually a root of all kinds of evil. And so we cannot claim any of these promises. We cannot hold on to any of them and expect or feel entitled to any sort of physical prosperity in this life. You can always trust that God is going to be with you and has a great future for you, both spiritually, emotionally, and connectedness in your relationship, and that we will experience nothing but blessing and prosperity in the next life. But the moment we use any of these verses to believe that we as God's people or as individuals, that we can claim physical prosperity in this life, we have misunderstood the covenant that God has made with us and the the distinctions and similarities between us and God's people in the Old Testament. So I'm not saying that you should not continue to have Jeremiah 29 or Joel 2 or 2 Chronicles 7. You can't continue to have these things out there. They, They are great statements about the character of God and about how God never gave up on his people. God's never going to give up on you. God's desire for a great future for you 
God is a gracious and good God, that God is a God that gives gifts. He is absolutely all of those things. We are just not able to apply them in the same way, these same sorts of character attributes that we learn about God. We're not able to apply them in the same way that the Israelites were because our connection with God and our covenant with God is not at all connected to land or physical prosperity, which in fact, in the Old Testament, that it was. Makes, he makes it very clear. I will bless or curse your land based on your obedience. We, there's no, nothing like that with us and in in, in, in Jesus right now. And you may take that as a negative, but it is, in fact, it is a net positive for us that our cursing and our connection to God as God's people is no longer tied in any way to our obedience, but through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ alone. So again, I got this from a listener. If you have other verses or ideas, or even you have any comments or follow-ups to that, or other Old Testament promises or anything like that you wonder about, please feel free to shoot them to me at charlie at thegrovechurch.org. Would love to this to be a conversation of sorts. If you have any questions or other ideas or other verses, I'd love to hear them. And as always, thanks for joining us. And if you are local to Northwest Arkansas, we'd love to see you on a Sunday morning. You can find everything you need to know about our services at thegrovechurch.org slash connect. And if you are not local, we are always streaming our services uh, 1030 on Facebook and YouTube. You can join us virtually. Either way, we'd love to help support you any way that we can. And again, thanks for joining the Grove Church's Cultivate Podcast. 